my name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, the podcast that looks at all aspects of women's lives from hormones and health to relationships, finance and social justice issues. You can connect with me on social media at at karen If you enjoy this podcast or podcast in general and you've been wondering whether you should start your own podcast, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is to start podcasting. Now let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Manuela Grace. Welcome. Thank you, Karen. It's good to be here. I lost you. So you're a professional singer, and you, but you also teach people how to speak. And I was really fascinated when I looked at your website because and we were talking about this before we started. I think that we lose the ability, especially if we've been at home with children for a long time, to communicate as well as we might do because we get out of practice. And it's just, I don't really know where I'm going with this. Talk to me about what you do and tell me what you do for people and how you came to do it. Just to firstly make you feel better, hopefully, I definitely got dumber since I had kids in some ways. It's almost like my brain was at capacity and we have so many skills we have to learn to be a person that doesn't kill children, to keep them alive, to keep them fed, and then add to that sleep deprivation, add to that crazy hormones, add to that the changes in your relationship and all the other things that go with day-to-day living. And then on top of that, we're supposed to maintain the level of intellect that we had prior to children. I think it's an unrealistic expectation. So just so you know, I definitely got dumber. My eldest is now five. My youngest is two. I am just starting to feel like my brain is coming back online. And the other thing I realized is that before when I forgot something, I'd be like, there's something I'm forgetting and I could figure it out. Now when I forget something, it's a black hole. And I don't realize I've forgotten it until my daughter says on Monday afternoon, mum, we missed the art exhibition on Sunday where they had one of my pieces in it. And you just feel like a completely bad mum because you were sitting in the sunshine in the garden drinking wine instead. But I just reassured and I said, darling, the choice was that you could have eaten ice cream or gone to an exhibition and you were eating ice cream. <sighs> Dodge that bullet. Yeah, just so I don't know what the question was, but I just wanted to reassure you and other mums, we definitely have to share space with intellect and survival skills I think when motherhood hits and I think that's not even factoring in for all of us who have a difficult journey like I did to motherhood I think that's not even factoring in all the psychological and emotional energy that goes into even getting to pregnancy or getting to delivering the child we had eight or nine years of trying to have a baby and having miscarriages and trying to just get on with your life while that was happening because we sold this garbage that you will look at the man that you love and miraculously you will have a baby and it will all be so fabulous and it wasn't for us there was death and there was pain and there was surgery and that takes up a huge amount of energy as well and in all of this you have to show up and I even remember I had one client one day say to me look are you okay I'm fine what's wrong because you just you haven't worn makeup or done your hair in a while starting to wonder if you're okay and I think that was a very nice way of saying perhaps the quality of my work was slipping because I never disclosed to anyone what was happening to me I did 
have a doctor that gave me a hard time once after a miscarriage because I went and sat an exam. I was doing a psychology degree and I went and sat my exam when I realized I was miscarrying because I thought the baby's not going to survive. I might as well get this out of the way because it's going to take me another year for this exam to come around. And he was so furious that I didn't go into the hospital to have the material tested. And I said, I had to sit the exam and then go home. I was in so much pain. And he said to me, but miscarriages don't hurt. And it took me six years before I had the courage to make a complaint about him to the hospital. And they told me that he was no longer with them anyway, because I think there'd been other women that had similar experiences. He's a dinosaur. I don't know how many miscarriages he'd had, but I'm not guessing it was very many. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah, so there's lots of people like to tell us about our bodies and our minds. And I think at the end of the day, we have far too high expectations of ourselves, myself included. I don't know how we got there. How'd we get there, Karen? It's okay. It was actually perfect because what you're saying about being forgiving ourselves and be not being the perfectionist, not expecting everything from ourselves all of the time. And I think that when we get to a certain age, and this is where we're going, and I think this is why you probably went, uh, you spoke about what you did. I was going to say went off at a tangent. That's a terrible thing to say, is that we do have these expectations, but we're also, it can also stop us dead in our tracks because we don't take into account what's Absolutely going right. on as having an impact on who we are, the way we can be, the way we can be, not even just the way we are being, but what is possible for us. Mm. And that can come across a lot in our communication because when we're uncertain, we simply don't Absolutely. know where to talk, how to talk, what to say. We, we just don't know what to do. Well, yeah, and exactly. And so much of the work that I do with people, I started out as a vocal coach and I built a relatively successful company both in London and here in Australia with vocal coaching only. But I really noticed that there was a particular group of people where it didn't matter how much you trained them, if we didn't address psychologically what was happening, then they would never get to the point of actually speaking. So it didn't matter how much we trained their voice. So going back to study psychology and then becoming more of a consultant and coach has given me the opportunity to work with people that need the support around what's happening internally in their mind and in their sense of identity so that when they do speak, it's with clarity and confidence. What are the causes of that kind of thing? What stops us from... I know for me, I'll, I'll just share this. I know for me, if there's some topic that I can't talk about with that person, I can't find anything to talk about at all. <laughs> Clamp up. Yeah, actually, it's. I have quite a few clients that come to see me because they don't know how to do small talk and it's affecting them professionally. And you'll see that quite a lot with people from Asian and Indian cultures and you'll also see it quite a lot with people quite introverted. And it's not that they can't do small talk, it's just that every piece of information takes up so much weight in their mind whereas if you're more extroverted it's about the social interaction whereas for people who are a bit more introverted a lot of it's happening internally it takes up a lot of space and things have a lot of weight when they speak and so learning to have 
what's almost like a frivolous conversation, but that it's a very, val even if it's frivolous, it's very valuable in terms of social connection and learning to find some common ground is actually something that I work on with people a lot because social interactions can feel quite threatening, especially if you're at a low ebb or you're tired or you're grumpy. And I actually find that one of the best tools for dealing with situations like that is just stating the bleeding obvious. So one of the things that I had Yesterday, I just woke up and I was grumpy and it's not in my character, but I think my body had just had enough. My mind had enough and I still had to show up and smile. So dropping the kid off at daycare, everyone's smiling. Hi. And they're all really happy to see us back and just be like, hey, I'm really grumpy today. Don't know what's going on. I'll see you this afternoon. I'm sure it'll be better by then. Or having, there was one client where he was really senior really successful but he really struggled with the fear of not being taken seriously because that was his fear it's not real it's not based in fact but it's something that was haunting him and stopping him from speaking up and so just saying gotta tell you I'm really scared of being rejected and dying alone but let's start there and having a laugh like it's such a bizarre thing sometimes it's such a shocking thing to just state the bleeding obvious that it breaks that ice and it gives people something to laugh about, something to connect over. And that laugh is one of the greatest things that we can use to connect with each other. Humor is such a great thing for opening up the creative parts of the brain and creating connection between people. So just being okay with just saying exactly what's on your mind without censoring yourself. And I found that's actually very helpful because I'm quite introverted myself. I'm not shy. That's a very different thing. But I do find social interactions very overwhelming and quite threatening, but no one would ever guess because as a professional singer, you have to master that. You have to learn how to show up. Yeah. Talk to me about that. As a professional singer, how do you overcome that? Practice. Often what people don't think about is when they think that you're running towards something. There's a lot in our culture about what are your goals? What are you aiming towards? There's not a lot of conversation about what are you running from or what's chasing you. And so while on one hand, I just felt so strongly from a young age that using my voice would be what I did with my life. I was also running from an environment where people had taken my voice from me in various situations. And that started at a very young age. People will be told to shut up or they'll have someone, they'll have a traumatic experience where they try to voice something and they're not heard. And then I had a high school teacher who told me that I couldn't sing. Now I wasn't old enough or discerning enough to understand that what she meant was she didn't like the sound of my voice, but that was her particular aesthetic. On an objective level, of course I could sing. Everyone can sing. She just, she was someone that liked classical sopranos and I was this kind of boomy, jazzy, gravelly musical theatre voice. And so people love to tell you things. I'm not sure on a tangent, but when I was pregnant, I've never had so many people give me unsolicited advice in my life. <laughs> I don't know what it's like when you get to menopause and you're getting the sweats on the tube, but people just love to tell you things that you don't want to know and you didn't ask for it. And I found that actually pregnancy and, and becoming a mum was a great training ground for learning to push back probably in a way that I was refining a skill set I developed as an artist, but I definitely leveled up once I became a mum. I just... My girlfriends used to say to me, Em, you'll turn 30 and you just won't have any capacity for bullshit. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that word on here, but anyway. <laughs> and then what happened was I turned 40 and that happened even more. And I became a mum and that happened even more. And I became a mum for a second time. And my tolerance for nonsense just decreased with each of those experiences. I don't know what I'm going to be like when I hit menopause. I think I'll have zero... <laughs> 
zero <laughs> things to give. <laughs> it's interesting, yes. You there's just no you mm. haven't got the time or the energy to tolerate mm. people's mm. stuff. Just just haven't. And people get really yeah. offended at it. It's really interesting because mm. I don't mind about people being offended. They're not my people, but the people that are my people get it. Like I remember last Christmas just being so overwhelmed with all the invitations and we hosted Christmas carols in our garden for 40 people in the neighbourhood. We hosted Christmas for 20 people and our laundry collapsed. We just bought this ramshackle house in Northgate and we were trying to fix it up and the laundry collapsed. And I just got to a point where I'd say to people, thank you so much for thinking of me. Thank you for inviting me, but I just don't want to. Mm. So often... Again, it comes back to that stating the obvious. It's so shocking that people actually often laugh and they're like, oh, God, me too. I'm going to use that. Or I had a situation, I was dropping my daughter off at daycare and a mum pulled over in her four-wheel drive and said to me, oh, are you slow? Mum. And I said, yes. She said, oh, you're the mother that hates birthday parties. And I looked at her and she goes, you never go to them. And I looked at her and said, Yes, I am. And I took that as license to never feel bad about it. I hadn't realized that consciously because during COVID in Melbourne, we set a world record for being locked down. We had nearly, what, two and a half years over a three-year period. I was working most of that time. My husband was on a contract and so he had a lot of time to look after the kids or the kid and then kids because my second child was born during the lockdowns. And realizing oh yeah he really loves his stuff he's quite extroverted I do not so I will not go to parties and I made the mistake once of going to a party and there was a mum there and I she was sitting on the ground outside breastfeeding and she I came out she said oh god you know what I said to my husband today I was I'm gonna do an Emanuela and not go to the party and I came anyway and I said you've made a mistake you shouldn't be here you should have stayed at home I wish I had <laughs> and that was it I, I went to one children's party and realized that it didn't bring me joy. It didn't fill my cup. My husband loved it. When it was my daughter's birthday, though, we ended up with 80 people in the garden for a sausage sizzle, and that was fine. Effortless. You just put the snags on the barbecue. You do a champagne bar for the grown-ups, and, and then when it's time to go, you just use completely recyclable stuff and put the bin near the gate. See you all later. It's 4 o'clock, and it's time to go. Thanks for coming. So. It's great to have that amount of freedom and to be able to communicate it because I think that's the difficulty a lot of people have is how do you communicate that without causing offence or upset or whatever else? I think you have to get to know yourself really well. I think the biggest thing is that I work with on clients is actually how often do we take the space and certainly with the support of someone who really cares about you but who's very objective to just get to know yourself. We change so much over the course of a lifetime and starting with your values, starting with your priorities. Okay, how do we articulate that? What are your fears? Okay, which of those are real? How are they going to affect your values and priorities? Okay, now you know yourself better. You can start to articulate yourself. Now that you can articulate yourself, you can decide what your boundaries are and set those as well. Because we have this disposition where we think boundaries are something we're doing to people. In, in white Anglo-Saxon culture, we have this thing where we think it's something we're doing to people as opposed to something we're doing for people psychological safety comes from clear boundaries. They did this experiment where they had people drive over, say, would you drive over a bridge if it had no barriers on it? And the majority of the people in the experiment said, no, absolutely not. Okay, how many times have you ever hit the barrier on a bridge? No one ever has. What it indicates to us is that people need to know what the parameters are we're working within. And the minute they do, even if they don't like them, 
they feel psychologically safer. And so if we can learn to know ourselves well enough to articulate where those lines are, we're going to be better off. There's a, I don't, the name escapes me, but there's a French child psychologist who talks about Le Carte, the frame. And the idea of the frame is that if you, your children know exactly where the barriers are, they can have absolute freedom within that. And the only time you really have to enforce the boundaries or the, is, is when they get too close to the edges. And as a conductor or as a, and someone conducting a choir or conducting an orchestra, you have exactly the same thing where there's a frame from about your eye level across to your shoulders and down to your waist. And the choir or the orchestra will follow the instructions that happen within that frame. But if you see someone doing big hand gestures outside of that, they're just showing off because no one's following that. All the action happens within that framework and that's where people feel safe and they understand what the message is. It's really interesting you say that because boundaries is something that's come up for me this year and being okay with setting boundaries with people because I think certainly over my lifetime what I, what I noticed looking back is that my boundaries disappeared in some situations and now I'm in at the point where I'm going the kids will do that to you (laughs) I know just as a complete aside personal space what's that (laughs) yeah it was interesting because my kids went to this school that for a while that was they didn't enjoy it and when I think my eldest was about 11 maybe 12 at the time and he said mum we want to move school because we don't feel safe there's no rules or they oh, say no, there's rules awful. and they don't impose them. And that was really interesting that he put his finger on it at that age that he knew and he wanted, he chose to go to this traditional top end mm. private boys only school. And I was just, because he'd been to mm. a Montessori school before that. I was like, oh, didn't expect yeah, right. that one. But he wanted it because there was yeah. certainty. He felt certain and he pushed the boundaries, but he knew the rules and he knew the playing field. You need and to know where they are to push them. Yes. There's this great quote by Picasso that said, yeah, that you learn learn the rules like a teacher so you can break them like an artist. Yeah. That you need to have something to push up against. That's how we sharpen our teeth. That's how we develop strength. That's how we get better at things. If we don't have something to push up against, we don't have anything to give us a psychological strength training. So if it's just infinite, you're going to have nothing to push up against. It's interesting because we don't, as we grow older, like we don't think that applies to us. I'll apply it to my children, but then my boundaries, where are my boundaries and how do I impose them with somebody else? That's why working with someone like this is not a plug for me. I think one of the big things that I'm learning, pregnancy and motherhood has been the best lesson for this for me is that you can't do it alone. And if you do, it's actually going to really limit your growth. There is a lot to be said in terms of the impact having people in your life has on your growth. And I don't mean your kids have other people that are going to be at your level or that are going to push you to succeed or are going to be able to support your help you grow bigger in some way, grow more sure of yourself in some way, who's going to tell you the truth about things, even if you don't want it. And it might not be a coach. It might be a really dear friend. It's a lot of responsibility. If you've got a friend like that, you're really lucky. Or it might be your partner. It might be 
I don't know, a boss or a confidant, but having someone who's going to be honest with you, who's going to be loving and objective and doesn't have skin in the game, doesn't have an angle when they give you that feedback is just so incredibly valuable because they're the same people that will show up for you when you need help and hopefully you'll feel safe asking for it. And I didn't really have much of that in my life until the kids came along and it's been the great privileges that I've learned to ask for help and to seek it out. And I think that's the problem for a lot of people, and particularly as they get older, because oh, look for me, I ended up doing almost everything by myself with the kids. So my life was absolutely chock-a-block. Mm. And then the kids started growing up and leaving home. Mm. What do you do? Mm. <laughs> it's really difficult. And then imposing <laughs> Start the a choir. <laughs> yeah. And then imposing the boundaries that haven't been in place for such a long time, trying to reimpose them becomes supremely difficult because you're out of practice mm. now. Yeah, I've got quite a few clients that have had their kids. A lot of them have worked, for example, in a family business or in their husband's business, and suddenly they want to re-establish themselves in their late 40s early 50s or one of them wasn't even that old she may be in her 30s and where is your identity who are you now and how do you take that back out to the workforce and how do you handle the rejection and how do you handle the difficult conversations and how do you even have the courage to apply in the first place and so a lot of a lot of my client base I'd say probably about 30 percent is of people that are just trying to rediscover themselves and who they are now and I guess my role is to help them understand their strengths and understand their value and then help them articulate that and present it to the world in a way where they have an alignment between their internal message and actually how they're facing the world and making sure that people have received their message. So that's an interesting one. How is or in what ways do people, is there a disconnect with who people are and how they come across to other people and how they communicate? It's where this having people who are going to lovingly and kindly tell you what they see, like a, a true mirror reflecting back at you becomes important. If we go back to this idea of this client saying to me, you're okay, and, oh, I'm fine. Uh, I wasn't fine. <laughs> and so having, I thought on the inside I was muddling through. I thought that I was masking what I was going through and showing up to work just as well as I always had, but I wasn't. And so having someone outside of you who's willing to speak truth to you is very valuable. And, look, I'm not going to pretend that it's always comfortable or easy to be the person in that role. It takes a lot of courage some days to tell people that I look up to, that I admire, that every now and again I'm actually intimidated by to be like, okay, your job, Emanuela, is to speak truth here, so do it. So having someone who's willing to speak that to you is really the first step. And then working to get to know who you want to be and asking yourself, are you in alignment with that? One of the great exercises I do with clients is get them to create an avatar. Who is this character that is you when you're at your absolute best, when you are kicking goals? And I've had clients who's turned this character into a cartoon or into an artwork or given her a name. And then what we do is on the days when you're feeling a bit grumpy, you're feeling a bit lost, it's almost like you can look to that character and shift gears into this woman, superwoman, today I am, whatever name you gave her. And it gives you something to step into that you know is yours, that you know you're capable of, that you know you're familiar with. And the reality is we all have low ebbs. 
but having something where you've given it a lot of thought and you've invested a lot of consideration in who you are and who you want to be and how you want to show up, it helps that kind of external presentation of yourself and that internal desire of who you want to be to align. It's like that the Tiger Woods thing where he visualised his golf swing so many times that he just went out and did it. It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? Visualising mm. it and mm. becoming familiar with it so that you can you know what to do. So it becomes unconscious, like driving, practising driving. You don't even think about what you need yeah. to do. And I suppose yeah. it's that kind of thing, isn't it? I mean, we don't pay enough attention. We were trained. To that kind of thing. I guess this is the thing, as a professional musician, I had the training and the time to work on that skill set. I we They brought a sports psychologist over from the States to train us for a term. And you would walk into a classroom of 30 or 40 musicians sitting there silently for an hour. And what we were doing was doing our performances in full in our heads. And you can't do what you can't see. So the spots where it was blank, the spots where the piece wasn't perfect the spots where we hadn't figured out the nuance of how we wanted to deliver a sound were the bits where we actually mentally needed to invest time because guaranteed if we didn't they're the spots where we'd mess up when we're on stage or in a performance so you had to be very clear on how you wanted each thing to sound and how that would feel in your body and how that would resonate for example from venue to venue as a singer you need to deliver a a sound that has continuity, but the acoustics might change from space to space. So you need to be able to know how you will bend a sound or how you will you'll amend your performance so that it will fit within that space and still give a continuity in the performance. So you need to get so clear on how you want it to sound and so sure of how you want it to sound that you can actually tweak it or amend it in that space in real time. And so you're thinking about something that's a level above just delivering it. You're thinking about, okay, now in the fourth dimension, what does this sound like in space and time? And it's a little bit like that with our identities as well. You need to become so sure of yourself, so sure of your message, so sure of your boundaries, so sure of your values that then in real time, if something comes up, you have the skill set to think in that fourth dimension of time and reality and say, oh, okay, I've just noticed that doesn't feel good for me. I'd like to take a minute. Okay, here's what doesn't feel good. I really want to participate in this project, but the timeline's too short. What can we do about that? Because how often do we say yes to something, we feel icky, and then we push ourselves to actually deliver on it as opposed to going, oh, okay, I noticed the feeling. I'm going to identify what it is. I'm going to ask for what I need right now, which is just a minute to think. And then I'm going to set that boundary, which is I need more time. It doesn't have to be confrontational. I have a particular style that's very direct. I know that's not for everyone and I don't expect everyone to do it, but the ability to articulate what your needs are, what your wants are, what your parameters are, is every woman's right. And so often the person taking that right away from us is ourselves. That's a really good point. We don't give ourselves the permission to say no. Hmm. Or not right now. That's one that I use all the time with the kids. And then I'll often get, but you promised. Yes, I promised. And we will find a time. Let's put it on the list or put it on the fridge or set a reminder, but not right now. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. It's now for a child. Absolutely now. And it's important to keep your promises because otherwise you're setting a standard, aren't you? Yeah. So in terms of your voice. Not that different with husbands. 
I've been married nearly <laughs> 20 years and it's pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't change. You were talking before we came on online. You said that your voice changes as you grow older. How does it change? Same way your boobs do, Karen. Uh, they Drops lower. Down two levels. And- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've got saddlebags at this stage. I was jokingly saying if my husband gets a vasectomy, I get a boob job, the kids can get kittens and everyone gets something. We all win. <laughs> okay, let's start, let's go right back to the start. When you're little, you have a tiny little, what people call a voice box, tiny little larynx, tiny little vocal folds, tiny little muscles, and, and it sounds quite small and quite sweet. And then over time, your body gets bigger and there's more space for the sound to resonate and the vocal folds get bigger and the larynx and the th- thyroid and higher cartilage get bigger and so the sound becomes bigger and deeper and more resonant then what a lot of people don't talk about is they talk often about boys voices breaking as they became teenagers they're not breaking the sound's not breaking and the same thing happens to girls and a lot of people don't talk about it is that your larynx is expanding in sizes that are very rapid pace. If you think about the growth in someone's body when they go from teenage child to teenager, it's extremely fast. And it's just that boys' vocal um, mechanisms and, and larynx grow even bigger and even faster than girls often. And so that breaking is actually the sound of them learning that the body trying to learn to amend how the voice is used and how the mechanism is being used in the body and sometimes they'll overshoot the mark because maybe the amount of air you could push through before isn't the same as what you can use now and you need to learn to moderate your use of the instrument so girls voices will change in their teenage years as will boys it's just that for boys it's more pronounced and then you'll see the adam's apple which is the front of the thyroid cartilage start to show and then what happens again in motherhood adele recorded a whole bunch of albums that they had to move everything into a different key for the live performances because she was pregnant when she recorded and that's very common that the key that it's recorded in and the key it's performed in is different because when you're sick when you're pregnant when you're tired you're everything's a bit thicker and a bit it's muscle it's sinew and then you have menopause which is a whole nother thing so then the vocal folds are made up of multiple layers three of those are mucosal layers so that keeps it nice and bouncy now what happens during menopause is our juiciness starts to dry up a little bit so of course that's going to affect the vocal folds so maybe it feels a bit scratchier maybe it feels a little less flexible because we have less of the things that make it so in there and so your voice will change again and I and with aging you have less of the things that keeps your body pliable and flexible so it actually becomes more and more important to exercise your voice and exercise your tongue and your jaw and your throat and your neck because what that does is help you maintain strength so you're doing squats you're doing pilates excellent take up singing as well unless you want to end up with a a turkey wobble later on in life because what will happen is you'll lose the strength and you'll lose the tone around the vocal folds and it'll all become a bit wobbly is that helpful is that a good explanation yeah that's great I actually used to love when my boys were at school senior school I used to love going to chapel just so I could listen to all the boys not hit the right (laughs) note it's great (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're very unfair on ourselves. What can you do then? How do we, okay, so when women are getting back into the workforce or they want to get back into the workforce or something, kids leave home, whatever, 
And you've got that mixture of, because I realize sometimes I used to be a swimming coach, so I can belt my voice down a full lane of the swimming pool and make myself heard to somebody who's got their head in the water. But I've noticed that my voice as I've got older has changed. It, it is more squeaky. It's not as <laughs> predictable, shall we say. <laughs> I can't necessarily yeah. belt out Robbie Williams in the car and guarantee that I'm going to get to any of the notes whatsoever. Although I do better than Bob Dylan, who I don't yeah. think has hit a note in his entire career. No, he's, he's not known for his beautiful voice. He's known for his songwriting. <laughs> I didn't realise how bad he was until I was in the chiropractor's office and a Bob Dylan song came on and I said to my chiropractor, man, I don't think you hit a single note yeah. in that song. <laughs> But it does, it changes. And sometimes I listen to myself and go, oh, God, I'm just so squeaky. Squeaky. What can you do? Yeah, change your expectations. Start using a lower, <laughs> start <laughs> using a lower tone. Allow yourself to shift gears, shift into this new iteration of your voice. My voice is getting lower and lower with every child, with every pregnancy, with age, and just being okay with moving lower, but also maintaining vocal fitness. So singing is the best thing for you, but singing not just loudly, but working on those nuanced muscles, holding notes for longer, seeing if you can segue from a quiet note to a loud note and back again. So keeping up that vocal fitness of using your voice in more nuanced ways will help you maintain. It's a little bit like the difference between, let's say, going for a run builds up the big muscles, but doing ballet or Pilates or yoga takes care of all, of all those little ones that are the really important mechanisms we need for when we've got to pick something up off the floor. Is there something, is there a YouTube channel or a podcast or something where somebody can go to do those lessons? Because I wouldn't know where, I'm not a singer, I've never been trained. Is there somewhere that... There's plenty out there. I've never thought about it. <laughs> you know what, I've started, as of this week, I'm going to actually start doing YouTube videos once a week. So maybe next week's one can be a bunch of singing exercises for your followers. That'd be great. Will, I'll put the link uh, up in the notes. Right now. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, I'm just going to add this right now that I am going to next week's topic is vocal warm ups for non singers. There you go. Fabulous. For Karen's people. There you go. <laughs> That'll be next week's video. I'll send it over. And you've just started, you were saying you put a call out in a local Facebook group about singing around in your kitchen and you got hundreds of responses. Yeah, it was actually quite overwhelming. I posted in one mum's group of maybe a thousand people who wants to come over and drink tea and sing in my kitchen. And I just thought no one had read it because I had no responses. I thought, okay, no one's interested, but I didn't realize I've been off social media for five or six years. We didn't even have Wi-Fi until this week and the moderator hadn't post approved it. And within less than an hour, I had something like a hundred responses. And by the end of the weekend, we'd started a group of there's 130 people right now and counting about 400 people have commented and I'm running two events that have almost sold out in less than 24 hours in my kitchen <laughs> next month. And it's not a choir. It's the parameters I said was it had to be not for profit for anyone. You don't have to be good, just enthusiastic. And it's pop music. So you don't need to be able to read music. It's going to be a sing-along. So basically I'll probably 
post five songs in the group. Those who can harmonise will. Those who can play an instrument bring it. And we are just going to make tea and sing. And I've capped it at 25, so I don't think I can fit more than that in my kitchen. <laughs> it just shows. And if it goes that... well, then I think I'll try and move it across. Yeah, if it goes well, try and move it across to the local hall. There used to be a mum's choir there years ago, but it's not running anymore. So I think there's definitely a need for women to feel that they can hear their own voices and feel safe doing that. Yes, I think that's really important. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but I actually think that's important. And I think just I'd be absolutely terrified of going singing in public, but at the same time I enjoy it. I love I don't go to church often. It's not public though, is it? No, that's the difference, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So it's exactly like that. Yeah. It is a bit like church or any other community space where it's not about sounding good, it's about feeling connected and having your cup filled. Mm. And it's important. So just but we're going to have to wrap up in a minute. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? If you've ever wanted to work with someone like me and you find the idea intimidating, I am kind and accessible and will meet you where you're at. So don't ever think this isn't for you. Reach out and find out. You can go to my website, find your voice Australia and book a discovery call. If there's not a time that works for you, message me through the website. I would love to hear from you. I'm going back one more day a week now. So I have some room for, for the first time in over five years, I have some room for new clients, which would be really lovely. And I have a real heart for helping women and men, but women find their voice. Ask me questions. I love answering them. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure having you on. There's so many more things, so many more places I want to go. We're going to have to do another call. <laughs> so I've really enjoyed this. I'd love that. So thank you so pleasure. much. The website and all your information will be, yeah, all your, all your links and everything will be on the web page and, and on the show notes that go with this thing so people can get in touch with you through that. But thank you so much. Yeah. Worst case scenario, if all of those links fail you, just Google Emanuela Grace or find your voice Australia and, and I'm there. You'll find me. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Lovely to speak with you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget, if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting. There's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.